You're listening to A Quiet Mind with me, Robert, your host. If you haven't listened before to the podcast, I'll just give you a brief synopsis of what I talk about here. I talk about things like, who am I? Where did I come from? What's this all about? What's my purpose? You know, things like that. So, if that's something that interests you, that's what the podcast is about. And just to bring you up to speed, in the last couple of podcasts, what we have gone over are two important points when we look at steps to having, and I'm using air quotes right now that you can't see, doing the uh, finger gestures, having a quiet mind. And why would one want to even have a quiet mind? That might be your first question. Or another question might be, do you have a quiet mind? Obviously, I've had an unquiet mind, so I can speak from that perspective very well. I can tell you that there have been a lot of uh, thoughts that have gone through this little brain over its almost 57 years here in existence and getting up on, I think, 15 years of podcasting, I certainly can express that I do perceive and see and witness that there are thoughts that arise in this mind. And along the way, I decided that's where I went on the personal quest of what would happen if my mind was quiet. How could that improve my life? Would things be better if my mind was quiet? Because in that moment, what I got was that most of the problems I seem to have had in my life in the past and in, in the present, when I had this epiphany, was if my mind would be quiet, I would have a better life. So my journey has been about how can I do that? What is the how-to? And that's what we talk about here, how-to. And how to not have a quiet mind. And instead of expounding upon or having concepts and goals around uh, what are the benefits of a quiet mind, I tend to focus more and more on remembering those things that we already know, and we call those inherent traits. So, one of the things that's come up for me was that, you know, I spend a lot of my time, like probably some of you, and obviously if you're listening to this podcast, I spend a lot of time on social media. I do a lot of studying and reading. I watch videos and I listen to audio books and I read a lot of books and a tremendous amount of information is constantly kind of flowing around. And one of the things that I saw that I found quite interesting recently, I was watching a YouTuber, and they were talking about the dangers of having no thoughts or no thinking. 
and they were speaking on the behalf of someone that thought, if there are no thoughts there, then there's no more you. And that the concept of arriving at a place of no thought was the equivalent to being something akin to a rock or a robot. That's the other one that I I hear a lot about. I can speak from my side of the story and what I think about that. I understand what that means to have or possess, right? That means that if I possess a chair, I have it, it's in my possession, it's here at home. This is my chair, it's an object. I'm the subject, that's the object over there, that's my chair. So in that same vein, think about how we have thoughts and thinking and how we identify with those thoughts as me, mine, and I. And there are some people that would then believe if we stopped thinking, then we would cease to exist, at least in a conceptual manner. And in that way, what we're doing is somehow shutting off that individuality that we have, the, the um, history, the stories, the knowledge, the knowing, the right to have opinions. It would be dangerous to be a non-thinker. How would anything get done? How would things be created? Think about all of the wonderful things that we have because people were thinking and they had thoughts. The inventions that we have, the way we live, the medicines that we have, I could go on and on. Those all took thought, thinking, and people thinking thoughts. So that brings me to this part of our analysis on what it means to practice no thinking or to just sit quietly. This isn't something that we're going to somehow reach some sort of plateau in our journey where we are um, devoid of thought, thinking, and action. And once again, it's all according to the individual. There are some people that want to take these things to the extremes. Most of them are living in caves in Tibet. It's, you know, been recorded many times, and there are probably people sitting there right now in caves who are just sitting in what we might call samadhi or bliss or union, um, a form of meditation of a stateless state where they're completely immersed in the absolute, abiding in non-dual awareness, no thoughts, no thinking, no body, so extreme that they wouldn't even feel the mice that are nibbling at their toes. Okay? We can call that a 10 Okay, for the rest of us, we may be floating somewhere around a four or a five. We certainly can use this as, as a measurement to how um, intensely we may be holding on to the story of who we are rather than what we may truly be. Because holding on to that story of uh, you know, the identification, the stories, the histories, the thoughts, the feelings, the opinions, the emotions... All of these defining me, Robert, as a person. If I don't have those anymore, then I cease to exist. 
if you find yourself ever resting in and nesting in one particular state, that isn't it. Meaning that the goal that we want to reach, that we should reconsider even having in this goalless walk, this pathless path, is not to try to define any particular state that we would finally arrive in where everything would be okay, because we are absolutely, completely devoid of any thoughts, feelings, or emotions. We're completely detached from our physical body. And once we reach this state of no being, still here in the vehicle of the body, that now everything will be hunky-dory. Well, not for everyone, right? I'm speaking to those that want to find the more innate abilities that we have that when we are partaking of a practice of what we might call just sitting or no thinking, what we may experience within those prescribed seated meditations and focusing time can be moving from boredom to discomfort to wool gathering to list making to worrying to being depressed to being sad can move into an experience of Happiness or peace for no reason. Okay, so here we are at sitting on our meditation cushion, in our chair, doing our practice. Maybe we use a mantra-based uh, meditation. Maybe we're just watching our breath. Maybe we're counting. Doesn't matter. Whatever that form is, let's say we reach this state of absolute complete bliss. And we might think, well, that's it. I've got it. That's what I've been looking for. That's the objective. That might be what this quiet mind guy is talking about. My mind is quiet. There seems to be a, a witnessing consciousness there that is observing that there is someone or something experiencing a quiet mind and bliss. So we have this state or experience, and we figure, that's it. That's what everybody's talking about. I've got it. And then it's gone. You know, now I'm back at work. Now I'm stuck in traffic. Now I'm at home with the kids. Now I'm back in school, and I don't feel that bliss anymore. So how do I then get that feeling while I'm doing normal life? That must be the answer. That must, must be the practice. If I continually forge forward or move forward within my practice, where I'm sitting there on my cushion in my meditation room or wherever you're doing it, maybe you're doing it at a temple or a church, it doesn't matter, but you've experienced the bliss. You've experienced the innate peace that I'm always talking about, the innate peaceful state, that peaceful place we all have, where, where mind has, and like I said, Robert Adams said this, it's very beautiful, 
where the mind is rested in the heart. Ramana Maharshi also talks about this too. They're just saying that the discursive random thoughts and thinking have subsided long enough to where you're just sitting quietly. That's the, the simple answer to this. It's the same thing in Chan, Zen, Zogchen, all of these different practices, um, you know, anything to do with most of the Hindu-based practices and, and in Buddhism, Vipassana, all these things. The, the state that you reach is the state of no mind. Then you may reach the state of no body, no mind. The witnessing, the witness, perceive the perceiver in the non-dual tradition. Wow, that's pretty neat. Maybe you never reach this state. Maybe you're looking to reach this state. Maybe this is your goal, because you figure, once, once I have reached that state, we could say of that guru that I've seen the picture of, that teacher, the, the face of the Buddha that you see everywhere on the statues, Okay, once I reach that state, then I can go about my life and things won't bother me anymore. No matter what happens, I'll have the right or correct response to that. That there isn't going to be anything left there that can respond in any way, shape, or form in only a loving and compassionate manner. So we could create that as a goal and as our objective. We can say, these other guys did it, I can do it too. So let's say we practice for 20 years, and we've had that state many, many times in our meditation practice. But when we come back out of the temple or our meditation room, or our walking meditation, or our painting meditation, or our dishwashing meditation, whatever your meditation is. To put it briefly, the reason I use the word innate is because, depending upon how old you are right now, some of you may have to go back into your childhood and try to remember the activities that you would do where you, where you lost track of time, then this was pretty common when we were kids. If you're still young right now, you could just bring your attention to that. What, what are those activities that when I'm doing that activity, I am completely, completely so lost in it? No thought, no thinking, just doing the task, right? No drudgery there, nothing, just as a simple flow of doing the task, and I've completely lost track of time. And you'll notice within that lost time, there probably wasn't a lot of thinking. And, there, and as thinking or thoughts may have come up in the mind, that there might not have been too much attachment put on those thoughts or thinking. This is what I like to call the gap. And I've spoken to a couple of people since the last podcast. I was reminding one person in particular 
that experience off the cushion, we call it in meditation land, the off the cushion experience of gaps um, in time where thought is completely absent and you're just doing the task, uh, we can observe that or bring our attention to it when we're not doing meditation. So that means that you can recognize when out there in the real world that you were doing the task, the job, the hobby, the gardening, whatever it was, and you become aware of, oh, I just did that for a very long time, and I wasn't really thinking, and I wasn't thinking of the time, wasn't worrying about things. I just, wow, that's strange. I lost track of time. So what would be the benefit of losing track of time? That's what we're always looking for. We're always saying, well, what's the benefit in that? How do I integrate that into my life? And then rather than it benefiting or you integrating anything or anything needing to come back together or you need to reconnect with source or spirit or absolute or God or whatever you want to call it, rather than there needing to be any kind of acknowledgement of a bringing something into an experience or needing to create, mold, uh, nurture, rather is to notice that is happening now. And you have it happen quite often throughout the day. And this is just my reminder to you as we have the little recipe booklet. The reminder is to notice throughout the day those tasks or things that you're doing where you have lost track of time. Because there it is. There's your path of no path. There's your practice of no practice is in bringing, finally bringing your attention to the fact that this is something that you're not doing or that you need to do or redo or get better at, but rather something that you need to actually just notice. You need to notice that you already have spaces of no thought or no thinking and that you're still doing stuff. This is the important thing. You are still doing things while you are having these spaces or gaps of no thought or no thinking. And I'm not talking about this in a mindless way, where since we are so good at driving the car now that we don't have to pay attention to the details. But here's another thing that's very interesting. Notice when you are driving, if you're a driver, how often you might drift away. And that's what I mean about the difference between the inherent uh, spaciousness within our process of thoughts and thinking and then the downtime that's inherent that's just happening naturally, right? And then what we would call, you know, spacing out. The spacing out thing is where nobody's paying attention to anything at all. And then before you know it, you've, you know, you've run the red light or you've blown the stop sign. You know what I'm talking about. We've all done it. So that difference there is 
I would say, significant. And that the reminder then is to remember that this that we're talking about, having a quiet mind, or getting a quiet mind, or attaining a quiet mind, or nurturing a quiet mind, or do you have one, or do I have one, or does anybody have one? Well, we would have to say, yes, that there are gaps there where there is quiet and there is attention. And this is, this is the key element of this part, not the part of where you have done this task so many times that you space out and you're not thinking about it, but rather there is this gap of time that you are not time-bound. There's a spaciousness there. There's still consciousness, there's still awareness, there's still activity, there's still a doing of things, but there's an absence of thought. It's like there can be, you can still experience pain without suffering. Those, those two things kind of have a, a symbiotic relationship as well. That being that you can still feel the pain of, and sorrow of loss without the deep suffering of it. And this is apparent when we go through a process of grief. That's part of, that's part of one of the plateaus of the grief is now you're, you're still feeling the pain and loss, but you're no longer in the, in the deep suffering of that. So just notice those gaps of no thought during the day. Simply bring your attention to it. If you have activities that you are already doing in your life where you lose track of time but you're still aware, you're still doing, you're still conscious, you're not spacing out, notice during those times that there was a very long gap where you were so involved and focused on what it was that you were doing that you almost feel refreshed after the activity. I do art, I draw, and I do music. I notice that when I'm doing those activities, that it's quite natural that I wouldn't be thinking about anything else but the drawing, like the one that I just finished today. So I did a little drawing, a little painting, and I brought my attention to the fact that while I was doing it, I, w I wasn't even thinking about what colors I was going to use. It was just a spontaneous interaction with the materials. And once again, I'm not Mr. Special. <laughs> I'm just reporting back something that I noticed and wanted to share it with you that I thought was interesting. There it is. For a whole hour or so, I'm not sure, because I didn't look at the clock, I wasn't aware of the time, I was just making this little drawing. And while I was doing that, I wasn't thinking about my problems in life, the world situation, the things that are going on. And that's a good thing right now. And that's what I wanted to share with you. Something good. There is a lot of good that's happening. And there is a lot of bad that's happening. Just remember that all of that is being, it's being held, in my experience, by this benevolent force 
whatever you want to call it. I don't know if that brings you comfort. I don't know if you think that's nonsense, but that's, that's my report. And when you're doing these activities, there seems to be no separation between this benevolent force and me or you or anyone. And those moments of the gap, no thinking, no thoughts, no discursive thought, no self-deprecating thought, no worries, no attachment to time, no thinking about what to do next with my life, no thinking about my purpose of being, no thinking about anything, just in this task, purely being a conduit for whatever the expression of this great thing is, how we're floating in this big black vastness of space, somehow coming from that, connected to that, all of this is being created by something somehow, some way. And we can be a part of that. And we are a part of that. But we can just become a, a conscious part of that. In other words, knowing that, hey, I'm here with this, connected to this, this is me, I'm part of this. And if you look at it from, from a very elementary view, you can see that one of the things that this spacey, galaxy, mass, vast emptiness does is it makes things. It just does things. And it has absolutely no reason for doing these things. And it has a, a wildly expressive imagination. I remember one time I was scuba diving when I was learning to scuba dive in Hawaii. And we went down to 110 feet. And it was black lava sand. And it, obviously it was very quiet. It was kind of dark. And the reason that we were going there was we're going to see these things that are called grass eels. And they're eels that have little holes in the bottom of the ocean. And they come up out of these holes, and they were long. They were, I don't know, six feet long. I have, I have no idea. And they waved there like grass on the prairie. So that's why they're called grass eels. So I was uh, laying down because the, the diving instructor said, go all the way down to the bottom and lay on your belly and just relax and try not to move too much. Then the eels will come up. You'll be able to see them. Right? So I went down, all the way down, 110 feet, and I'm laying there on my stomach, and he was, he was not very far from me. I could see him. I could see the bubbles coming up from his scuba, you know, his gear. And I was just laying there in the quiet and looking down at that beautiful, deep, black sand from the lava. And I saw this creature that was black and orange and white and it was some kind of slug, like a sea slug, but it was brilliantly colored. And the white was just, oh, it was so striking against the black. And it also had black, a black stripe. And I was staring at that, looking down, thinking, who made that? <laughs> and of course, I got to see the eels. But I never forgot that. I never forgot how here I am, 110 feet down, you know, way off the coast, like we were, we were pretty far off the coast of the Big Island. I'm not sure how far, but it took a while. It took more than a half hour to, to get out there with the boat. And I remember, you know, here I am in the middle of nowhere, underwater 110 feet, way off the coast of Hawaii. And I see this most gorgeous creature. 
And, it, you know, it looked like, uh, I don't know how to really describe it, but it, it was so delicate, delicate, and it had uh, it was fluffiness. It looked like a, a, I don't know how to describe it, a Victorian dress that <laughs> was a slug. That's what it looked like. And I thought, I remember at the moment, I thought, well, who made this? And I've never forgotten that. Who made this? What kind of imagination could create such an amazingly delicate and gorgeous and um, interesting, colorful creature just for me to see here in the middle of nowhere underwater 110 feet off the coast of Hawaii? And I'm looking at this thinking, why? Right? That's, that's me. I'm always thinking, why? Why? Who? How? What? Where? Why? So I never forgot that. And I've since then, I, under, I understand this. I don't really know who made it or why they made it or how they made it. But I know that I can see it with my own eyes and I can assume that somebody had an amazing imagination, <laughs> whoever made that. And we are that. And that's the thing that I'm trying to say in my roundabout silliness, that we are that. We, whatever that is that made this beautiful thing, we are that. There is no need to reconnect that to that. There's, there's only a needing to remember who we are. And remembering that though that creature probably has a myriad of purposes for being here, in my moment that I saw it, all I saw was an amazing, absolutely beautiful creature. It was just a pure moment of awe. So in these pure moments that we have, where we're awestruck by what it is that we see that is created from somewhere, somehow, in such a delicate, precise, beautiful, wondrous way, when we bring our attention to that and see it, and in that moment, we experience no thought or no thinking, just this gap. That creature, that thing that we're viewing, whatever it is, there's a moment there where we could say that it knows that we know. I wonder what you think about all this. And I wonder... What kind of experiences that you have had like that? What kind of activities that do you have throughout the day that you find yourself in awe? Or losing track of time completely? I'm wondering if you notice that the thing that you're looking for, you already have. And that's peace, quiet. There is an aspect of 
your consciousness that is purely witnessing the witness perceive a perceiver. That's what I'm here to remind you of. It's not something I have that you need to get or something that someone else has that you need to get or something that you can possess. It's something that is inherently within all beings. And that's this ability to be able to notice that there is a quiet aspect to your perception, to your consciousness, to your awareness, to who you are right now. It's there. This is just another one of the little tiny pointers or a little key as, aha, ah, I see what he's talking about. I do experience that. I have experienced that. I know that. That happens when X, you know, whatever that is. That, that happens when I'm washing my car. <laughs> that happens when I see a sunset. That happens when I hold my baby and look into their eyes. When does that happen for you? So until the next podcast, think about that. And when you notice it, congratulate yourself. Bring that to your attention. Aha, this is what that guy was talking about. I've already got it. I see that. This is when it happens. This is when I experience those gaps of thought. And why should we experience gaps of thought? Isn't this bad? Shouldn't we always be thinking? Are we going to bring in evil or evil thoughts? That's another thing that I saw on a recent, um, what I would call, uh, you know, fact-gathering about this particular subject I was looking at. What people thought about no thinking and the practice of no thinking and no thought. And the good side of that, which I would say, you know, the people that agree with me, <laughs> just kidding, and those that don't. Because I wanted to look at both sides. I wanted to see what some groups and some religions and philosophies were saying about in their words, the dangers of no thinking and no thought and practices that um, uh, taught that. And that would be, you know, literally any, any religion or philosophy that teaches you meditation would be something that you would want to uh, be aware of because when they're teaching you to get into this place of no thinking, then that's an opportunity for bad thoughts to come in. And I, I thought that was very interesting because... Whether or not we know it or we're going to admit it, we, we all have, quote-unquote, bad thoughts. And whether or not there's a practice that is inviting bad thoughts, I could think of a lot of other examples than to practice sitting quietly by oneself or with a group of people. So, once again, just my opinion, but I wanted to say that my opinion is that in this practice of Zazen, Zen, Zogchen, Buddhist forms of meditation, Hindu forms of meditation, 
non-duality, non-dual practice, Advaita Vedanta, all of this stuff, where any master or anyone is pointing to something, one thing can be said for sure. They all talk about the necessity to be able to quiet one's mind. So, then we go into the how-to and what can I get from that. And I think we can go into that more in the next podcast because I see um, up getting close to 40 minutes here. And wanted to share a couple of things with you. First of all, I want to thank all of the patrons that are supporting A Quiet Mind on patreon.com. Thank you so much for helping to subsidize the cost for the podcast. If you would like to become a patron, that would be fantastic. If you find benefit in the podcast and you want to help me pay the bills, keep it going, you can visit uh, patreon.com forward slash a quiet mind. I had some conversations with podcast listeners over the last couple of weeks since I did the last podcast. And I wanted to say to you personally, thank you very much for reaching out and discussing with me ideas and concepts that you had for podcasts and thoughts. And I'm going to be going through those with my next installment of the podcast. If you would like to connect with me in any way, shape, or form, you just find me on all of the different social media platforms. Once again, you can contact me at robert at aquietmind.com or aquietmind at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with me this time. I really appreciate it. 